This is case seven from the Shoroku. Yao Shan ascends deceit. Introduction. Eyes, ears, nose, tongue, each has one ability. The eyebrows are above. Warriors, farmers, crafters, merchants, each returns to a job. The unskilled one is always at leisure. How does a real Zen master devise techniques? The case. Yaoshan has not ascended the seat for a while to offer a talk. The monastery superintendent said to him, Everybody has been wanting instructions for one long time. Please, master, expound the teaching for the Sangha. Yaoshan asked him to ring the bell. When the Sangha had gathered, Yaoshan ascended the seat. After a while, he got right back down and returned to his room. The superintendent followed him and asked, A while ago you agreed to expound the teachings for the Sangha. Why didn't you utter a single word? Yaoshan said, For scriptures, there are teachers for scriptures. For the treatises, there are teachers for treatises. How can you question this old monk? The verse. A foolish child troubles over money to stop crying. A good steed chases the wind, looking back at the shadow of the whip. Clouds sweep the eternal sky, nesting in the moon, the crane. The cold clarity gets into his bones. He can't go to sleep. Last Sunday we had a Zazenkai. In the beginning of the Zazenkai, I spoke briefly about how we turn away from the Buddha. I wanted to take a little time today to talk about that from a different perspective. Take a look at what is it that we are rejecting? What is it that we are not seeing? What is it that we are seeing and, and searching for that covers what we are not seeing? What is it that uh, distracting us? from what's always going on. The 16 Bodhisattva precepts begin with a vow to take refuge in a Buddha and end with a vow to not disparage the Buddha. But we actually have an intimate understanding of what that means. And if we do, does this understanding penetrate our thick skulls? Does it manifest through our actions? And simply put, to take refuge in the Buddha is to be rooted in who you are on a fundamental level. And to not disparage the Buddha is to not think and act in ways that go against who you fundamentally are.
That's just an explanation. But as good as explanation can be, it cannot replace intimate, visceral, whole body understanding. It may be a good entry point, though. We are born into this world with a karma that resulted from the ignorance of going against who we are as human beings. And then, through exposure to acts of ignorance by others, and through education system, we are indoctrinated to develop poverty mind, and to seek for ways to satisfy an insatiable hunger. That's what we mean by the hungry ghost within us. And our society has created entire systems built on this very hunger. And it offers ways that promise to satisfy as long as we get enough of it, whatever that is. But in reality, any consumption doesn't work. And it's designed, essentially, to keep us in a state of hunger so we will keep consuming endlessly. We're surrounded by that. Look at our phones, right? Or technology in general. How it's used. It could be a great thing, but how it's used in a way that perpetuates constant hunger. It works exactly on that. It is designed to be addictive. So we can't put it down. It works very well for those who sell. But since it never leads to real satisfaction and contentment, it only strengthens the sense of poverty mind and solidifies the trust that we are never sufficient. And essentially, it doesn't deliver, and it leads to further debasing ourselves. And to debase yourself is to disparage the Buddha. To think anything of yourself is to disparage the Buddha. And we're led to believe that the eventual sense of satisfaction will arrive at some point as long as we search for it externally. Because it doesn't work, and we keep getting disappointed, and the mechanism of searching elsewhere is perpetuated, we as practitioners, or maybe you, we as human beings, need to arrive at the conclusion that there's got to be another way. So the question is, is that what we're doing as practitioners? We may understand that it doesn't work. What does work? What is it that we are turning towards? You 
know, we say to, to turn it around, to shine the light inwardly, return home. So what do you see when you turn it around and observe the one who is observing? Observe the one who is searching, looking for something else. Always looking for something else. Our ingrained habit to turn away from the Buddha and search outwardly manifests, as I said last Sunday, through our rumination, self-deprecation, judgments, comparisons, discrimination, lack of appreciation, and a deep trust in worldly power or in the development of worldly power, which is completely dependent on the approval, recognition of others. It's the opposite of what we want to develop. And last Sunday, the beginning of Zazenka, I asked us all to recognize this and turn the attention around and keep coming back to the Buddha seat. Coming back to seeing that it is false to think that we are insufficient. It is false to think that we are not there, ever. So to, to sit on the Buddha seat, to allow the Buddha seat to support you fully, to recognize that he's always supporting you fully. And this is how spiritual power, as opposed to worldly power, this is how it's developed. And this is how we can liberate ourselves from the grip of dependence on worldly power. This is how we don't abdicate responsibility. And the verse from another koan says, Empty and at ease, without dependence, lofty and serene, untrammeled, untrammeled, untethered to anything, even to the thought of being a Buddha. Home and country, peaceful. Those who arrive are rare. A little bit of power divides ranks and grades, and that's referring to worldly power. As great as we think it is, it's a little bit, a tiny amount of power. Worldly power always divides. Spiritual power always unites. The fluid, clear mind and body is beyond right and wrong. Right and wrong ended. Standing alone on earth, there is no beaten track. There is no beaten track. And we come into practice with a mind that knows how to function on a beaten track, knows how to function within division, with divisions, knows how to seek for cultivation of worldly power by endless consumption within an organized and structured environment that is designed to keep a, us in a perpetual state of hunger. 
Anything that is outside, externally designed to sell us something, does not want us to feel at home, or at least not for too long, for a little while. But then the hunger arises again. It's designed to raise the hunger again. So we come into practice with such a mind, and because we're so used to functioning this way, we, do the sa- we may do the same with practice as well. We may try to feed the hunger with books about practice, discussions, teishos, even zazen. But the cultivation of spiritual power is made possible by turning away from the desire to feed the hunger, by not giving into it. By not following our tendencies or the crowd mentality of consumption in general. And hence, the fluid, clear mind and body is beyond right and wrong, is beyond having and not having, is beyond now and later. Because it's beyond. Standing alone on earth, there is no beaten track. There is no way to get there. At least not conventional way to get there. It is not through what we see or what we hear. The first line of Tao Te Ching sums it up by stating that the Tao that can be spoken of is not the Tao. The Tao that can be thought of is not the Tao. The Tao that can be given from another is not the Tao. So where do we find it? In that which we often overlook in that which we define as negligible, irrelevant, in that that doesn't feed and entertain the mind. In the useless, or what we think is useless, and the non-doing, The introduction begins with eyes, ears, nose, tongue. Each has one ability. And the eyebrows are above. And this is referring to an old Chinese story about the conversation between the different parts of the face. So one day the eyes, ears, nose, and mouth argued about who is the most, who is the most important function and who should be the one above all the others. So the mouth said, I am the most important part of the face since I take care of eating, drinking, and talking. I think I should be above. Who could be more important than me? And the nose said, My function is most important. 
And then he went on to quote an old Chinese verse. Among the five mountains, the central one occupies the honorable position. So since I'm the central one, I should be above. I am most important. Then the ears said, we are definitely most important since we take care of listening to the world around us. Without our function, you will all be disconnected and lost. So we should be above you. And the eyes said, We are like the sun and the moon. We have the power of reflection and illumination by seeing everything. So we should be above. So then the eyes turned to the eyebrows and asked, Why are you above us all? You don't have any vital function. And you do not occupy any significant position. So the eyebrows felt embarrassed, didn't know what to say. They said, we don't know why we are above all of you. We can't explain it. Then later on, commenting on this story, a Chinese master said to his disciple, in the ears it's called hearing, in the eyes it's called seeing. But what do you call it in the eyebrows? Nobody said anything. So after a while, a long pause, he said, In sorrow, we grieve together. In happiness, we rejoice together. Everyone knows the useful function, but nobody knows the supreme power of the useless. Everybody knows the useful. We know a lot about doing. What do we know about non-doing? Other than we file it away as unimportant, irrelevant, who cares? It doesn't lead to anything, does it? How often, how often we neglect to see what's always going on. What we or our society have deemed as unimportant. Why is it that we pay so much attention to what we define as important? Why do we believe it? It's like the silence in the background. When is it not silent? Or maybe we should ask, is the noise we create, does that noise cover the silence? Or do we just get caught up in the sound and don't pay attention to the silence? Stillness. What is that? Warriors, farmers, crafters, merchants, each, each returns to a job. The unskilled one is always leisure. Everybody gets busy, preoccupied, doing very important jobs. They are important. 
everybody functions a specific way. But the one who is unskilled is always at ease doing nothing at all. This is not saying be a bum. It's saying something very important. The unskilled here is referring to the non-doing within the doing. And the question is, how do we express non-doing? Always in the phrase, active all day, she does nothing. Active all day. Taking care of what needs to be taken care of. Addressing what needs to be addressed. And doing nothing at all. Without Te Ching, it says, The Tao abides in non-doing, yet nothing is left undone. Isn't that at leisure? Isn't that at rest, at ease, lofty and serene, untrammeled? Yet those who arrive are rare. And the last line of the introduction says, how does a real Zen master devise techniques? And this is referring to Yaoshan's style of teaching. In this case. And in particular to the way he's expressing it in this koan, Yaoshan was a 9th century Chinese Zen master, a disciple of Shitu, who was the grandson of Huineng, the sixth patriarch. So when Yaoshan first went to see Shitu, his teacher, he said, I have a basic understanding of the Dharma, but I want to find out about the southern teaching of pointing directly to the mind and seeing self-nature and becoming a Buddha. Truly, I'm not clear about this teaching, and I asked the Master's compassion, compassionate instruction. And she too said, you can't attain it this way, you can't attain it not this way. Trying to attain it this way, or not this way, it cannot be attained. So what do you do? So what will you do? Yaoshan was confused, as many of us would be. So Shitu said, your affinity is not at this place. Go to see Master Matsu. So Yaoshan went and paid his respects to Matsu in accordance with Shitu's instructions. He then asked Matsu the same question previously presented to Shitu. Matsu said, Sometimes I teach by raising my eyebrows and blinking my eyes. Sometimes I don't teach by raising my eyebrows and blinking my eyes. Sometimes raising my eyebrows and blinking my eyes is it, and sometimes raising my eyebrows and blinking my eyes isn't it. So what would you do? At these words, Yao Shan was enlightened.
Where do we seek it? So what will you do? Feeling lost. What will you do? Yashan then stayed at Matsu's place for three years and then eventually went back to study with Shitu. One day, when Yashan was sitting in meditation, Shitu asked him, what are you doing? Yashan said, I am doing nothing at all. And Shitu said, then you're sitting idly? And Yashan said, if I was sitting idly, then I would be doing something. Checking him further, Shitu said, you say you're not, you say you're doing nothing. What is it that you're not doing? And Yashan said, even the thousands of old Buddhas do not know. She to approve Yaoshan's expression and then wrote a verse to praise it. Long abiding together, not knowing its name. Just going on, practicing like this. Since ancient times, the sages don't know. Will searching everywhere now make it known? It's never been known. It's never been known. It's unknowable. Yet, we think we will find out. We will figure it out. Because we are special. But does that confuse us, is the question. Or does that mean stay confused? Because you have no chance of knowing? Are we doomed? Or can that be a relief? And this is the unskilled in action. These such conversations. What are you doing? I'm doing nothing at all. But he's not passive. He's not sitting idly either. So what do we do in Zazen? We sit and wait until the Jikido hits the gong again? Or we get lost in thoughts? Zazen is not passive. It's also not the conventional doing. You can say it's doing non-doing. Or it's thinking non-thinking. As Yaoshan actually said later on. To think non-thinking. And he was asked about that. And he said, non-thinking. How do you think non-thinking? Non-thinking. That's how. You know, one of the most amazing things about Zazen, about Zen practice, is that it's not giving you anything. I mean, we want stuff. 
One of the things I loved about Zen practice is that it is bare bones. It's not colorful, maybe like other styles of Buddhism. It's plain, it's simple. There's nothing here. How amazing is that? We don't do too much. We chant a little bit, we bow a little bit, and we just sit. That's all, we just sit. We don't do too much because we don't want to get engaged in things that may cover it up. Because this is what we do with stuff as human beings. We use things to build something off them, and then what we build becomes the blockage or becomes what covers up what we claim to be looking for. And then you turn to Zen practice, you get nothing. Of course, we can build from our own stuff that we bring into practice, that never stops. But at some point, we may recognize that. This utter simplicity of practice is so amazingly beautiful. But very quickly we find it boring. It's not entertaining us. So people wanted, wanted Yaoshan to bring up a koan or to give a talk or to entertain them with something. Give them some toys. As he said, he hasn't offered the talk for a while, so the superintendent, that's his job. He goes to the teacher, he's like, okay, listen, you know, you haven't been teaching us for a while, so why don't you go up there and give something to the congregation? People need some teaching. And he said, okay. He said, okay, he got up. He told the superintendent to ring the bell, which means there is Taisho. Let's get together, let's gather together and consume some food, spiritual food. So he got up. And he probably arranged his robes, fixed his posture, put his hands together. Everybody's waiting and waiting. Meanwhile, meanwhile, we're just waiting. As I said many times, you show up early, as you expected. Get on the cushion, sit down, start practicing. Don't wait for the Han. Don't wait for the gong, don't wait. Don't wait for the Teisho. Because in waiting, in waiting we perpetuate poverty mind. In waiting we actually strengthen the belief, not yet, not enough, not me, not now, 
there is still something that when it arrives or when I get it and when I'm fed by that, I'll get it. Until then, no. It's not now, it's later. So he sat there for a little while. Then he quietly got off, went back to his room. Went back to his room. So the footnote through the line, Yao Shan hasn't ascended the seat for, for a while to offer a talk. It says, movement isn't as good as stillness. And then the line, the footnote to, after a while, he got right back down from the seat and returned to his room. It says, now that's something to talk about. And here we are, over a thousand years later, talking about. That's something to talk about. And the question is, how do we talk about this? It echoes, no doubt. His silence echoes to today. It has to echo in our centers, not in our heads. And does it echo in your gut? An ancient once said, that what comes through the front door is not the family treasure. And of course, that's referring to the teachings, right? It's not going to arrive the way we think it's going to arrive. And it's not going to feed that hunger. Anything we expect to consume that will satisfy that hunger will only perpetuate it. So Yaoshan refused to give a talk for a while because he knew very well that the Dharma can also become a source of consumption. So by offering a talk, he actually could be giving more fodder to the hungry ghost and sustain poverty mind. Commenting on this later on, Zen Master Huinan said, Nowadays, many people take the Dharma lightly. I would second that. And he says, I would be like a farmer who lets the field dry from time to time to make them parched and thirsty. After that, when water is poured on, then the crops sprout. Isn't that true? Let them be hungry, see what happens. Maybe they'll leave. And you know what? In most cases these days, people will probably leave. Because the hunger is not being fed. I don't get what I need. I'm gonna go somewhere else. Over there, better food. That's how, we, that's how we do it. That's how we practice often. We search. 
And if we don't find it in one place, we go somewhere else because we think food there is better. It tastes better. It sounds better. It calms me down. Where is our responsibility? Is there any personal responsibility for practicing? You know, Yashan's style of teaching was meant to help his students curb the mind of consumption and arouse true passion and love for the glorious simplicity of the Dharma, which is always available. That was his technique, which is, can be quite effective. But again, it always comes back to our own personal responsibility to keep it alive. It happens in Aikido too. I, you know, some students will often ask questions and seek for constant approval and recognition. Where am I at? Tell me. Where am, I? am I good? Am I good? Am I good? How's my technique? I see it on the mat. I walk around looking at people, trying to help whoever needs help. And then some people say, come look at me. How is my technique right now? Practice. Just practice. What does it matter what I think? Don't you know how to practice? If you have questions about practice, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's clarify how to practice. Now that we clarify how to practice, okay, you know what to do. Do it. Trust that if you practice diligently, honestly, authentically, it's going to do what it needs to do. So we have to be careful with the way we, the way we ask questions or what is it that we're looking for so we are not feeding this constant, voracious appetite that never knows enough. Never knows enough. So at the request of the superintendent, Yaoshan did agree to give a talk. And he did get up on the platform. But how do we understand his silence? How did the monks back then understand his silence? Was he being defiant or not by not opening his mouth? Or was he utterly generous in his expression? And then the superintendent asked Yaoshan, why didn't you utter a single word? Yaoshan said, for scriptures, they are teachers of scriptures. For treatises, they are teachers of treatises. How can you question this old monk? Maybe he's telling him, ask better questions. Maybe he's telling him, you didn't hear. Because you expected to hear something, you did not hear what was going on. 
You expected to see something. You were not able to see what was going on. Of course, he, you know, he wasn't rejecting, he's not rejecting the usefulness or importance of scholastic study, contemplations, discussions, teishos. There is a place and time for it. But more importantly, we have to examine how we study, how we listen to Teishos. And what it is that we are trying to satisfy. Essentially, no amount of study, Dharma talks, reading, essentially none of it will be satisfactory if you cannot appreciate the underlying silence and connect with the immense beauty of being, the immense beauty of being, when is it not available? How can being arrive later? How can it be given from another? Why do we think we lack anything? What makes you so special to think you're not a Buddha? There's a similar case <clears throat> that one day Buddha ascended the platform took his seat. Manjushri struck the sounding post and said, when you realize the Dharma King's Dharma, the Dharma King's Dharma is just as is. At that, the Buddha descended from the platform. He got on the platform. Manjushri said, you're perfect and complete, as is. And then the Buddha got off the platform. If you think the Buddha ever taught anything else, <clears throat> then check again. Through all his life, all his teachings, if you think he taught something else, then you'll keep looking. John Wu in the Golden Age of Zen, at the end of the chapter about Kweishan, describing Kweishan's life and his teaching, he said, great as Kweishan was in what he expressed, he was greater in what he left unsaid. As great as it is, as great as Teishos may be, or those sayings, or the dialogues, what is unsaid is always greater. As Yunman said, a good thing isn't as good as nothing. A good thing isn't as good as nothing. You know, so many of those lines are enough. It's enough. 
We talk a lot. We talk way too much. I talk way too much. A good thing isn't as good as nothing. That's it. It's all we need to hear. But often people hear that, say, okay, do you have anything else? When is the next stage show coming up? When is the next book discussion? What book should I read now? I'm done with this one. What's next? And on and on and on and on. And it never stops. The verse is, a foolish child troubles over money to stop crying. That's exactly what that is. Back in the day, I don't know if they do it these days, but China, when kids would cry, the parents would give them yellow leaf it's like to, to act as if they're giving them gold and they would stop crying. I don't know why they would stop crying, but that's what it says. So yellow leaves to, for a crying child is referring to giving dalmatox to satisfy spiritual hunger. Here, take some of this. He's going to satisfy you for a little bit. Oh, that was good. A day or two later, can I get some more? A good steed chases the wind, looking back at the shadow of the whip. You may remember that. There's a, a story about a non-Buddhist questioning the Buddha. Once another Buddhist came to ask the Buddha, he said to the Buddha, I do not ask about words, I do not ask about no words. And the Buddha just sat there, stillness. The non-Buddhist praised him, saying, the world-honored one in his great benevolence and great mercy has opened the clouds of my delusion and enabled me to enter the way. Then bowing, he took his leave. Ananda, the Buddha's cousin and disciple who was standing by, asked the Buddha, what did the non-Buddhist realize that made him praise you so much? And the, the Buddha said, he's just like a fine horse that runs at the shadow of the whip. And this is equated to whipping a horse to start moving. And it says that there are four kinds of horses. The first one moves at the shadow of the whip, starts moving. So when you bring the whip up, the horse starts going. The second one moves when it feels the pain on the skin. The third one moves only when the pain penetrates to the flesh. And the fourth one moves only when the pain penetrates the bones. And then Suzuki, you may remember that, commented on this, said that he was actually, he said he was like the fourth horse, which is good for us to, to see because we want, everybody wants to be the first one. But I think sometimes the fourth horse actually 
gets a lot more out of it because it penetrates so deep. Because the practice and practice and practice is so important. People sometimes say, I, I've been practicing for years and I still have this and that. Yeah, but you know how much has been penetrating you? How much has sunk in all these years? Clouds sweep the eternal sky, nesting in the moon, the crane. The cold clarity gets into his bones. He can't go to sleep. He's not asleep. The clouds sweep the eternal sky. Yeah, the clouds come and go. Where do they move if not in the eternal sky? Where is all of it, all the stuff we make so much trouble about, where does it happen if not within nothingness? Being born, living, dying, all of it happens within nothingness. Yet we get so caught up in it that we don't stop and take a look at that nothingness in which we all float. And what's the meaning of nothingness? So on Yaoshan's death, just when he was about to die, he was 84, he went running around the monastery saying, the holes are falling down, the holes are falling down. The monk, all of them went out and started grabbing the pillars, trying to hold them up. Yakusan looked at them, Yakusan, sorry, looked at them, saying, you did not understand a word I said. He then sat down and quietly died. And it said that during his whole life, Yakusan was hitting his monks with Dharma arrows and most of them did not feel a thing. Holes are falling down. What isn't disintegrating? What isn't falling down? That would be a good thing just before dying. Take heed. Do not squander your life to light up some fire under their butts. This is urgent. You're all disintegrating. What will you do? You're all disintegrating. What will you do about that? What will you do with that? Nothing you can do about that. What will you do with that? That's how you want to live your life? He's asking. Yongjia said, speaking when silent, silent when speaking. The gate of great generosity opens with nothing blocking the way. Speaking when silent, silent when speaking. 
the non-doing within the doing, the doing within the non-doing. I will end with a line about the eyebrows, which was, I find, extremely, extremely important. Everybody knows the useful function, but no one knows the supreme power of the useless. Thank you. Thank you.